Once again, I want to welcome you to Milestone Church. I want to welcome those of you watching at our Hazlitt and McKinney campuses, along with those of you watching online. Would you join me in greeting them? Thanks, guys, for being with us. So excited to be here with you. If we haven't met yet, my name's Jed. Uh, if you've been in the church since September, you might not know who I am. There's a reason for that. I'll explain in just a moment. But I'm continuing this series, so grateful to be here on this thankful series. Now, I don't know what your week was like, but I'm going to guess that somewhere along the way it involved some turkey and it involves some, some sort of potato mashed au gratin, however that looks for you guys. It involves a dish that's normal to your family, but when you have guests come over, they're like, what is this? And they're like, don't trust us, it's good. You eat one of those, and somewhere along the way, there's some family drama, and for some of you, it's passive-aggressive, and for some of you, it's just aggressive-aggressive. And <laughs> In the midst of that, you're gonna go, okay, somewhere in here, we should, it's Thanksgiving, let's all circle up and say what we're thankful for, and so, you know, the teenagers are in there, and they, normally they're in the back because it's cooler to be in the back, but at this one, they want to be in the front because when you're saying what you're thankful for, it's, you want to be up top because everything's open to you. You could just be like, I'm thankful for, you know, my family and this food and America and God, and then the next person's like, well, what they said, and by the end, you get to the person, they're like, well, they took all the good ones, and so I guess I'm trying to be thankful, and, and I think... We relate to that because we all know we're supposed to be thankful, we're supposed to be grateful, but it's not always easy. We have, we have reasons to be ungrateful. You're watching online and you're like, yeah, I, I can relate to that. But at the same time, we know the, the, the research and the, the data is overwhelming that gratitude and thankfulness isn't just something that you should aspire to, it's actually good for you. It changes your internal well-being. You know, the Harvard Business Review recently did a study, and they said that gratitude improves well-being, it reduces stress, it improves resilience, it increases patience. We all need that one, right? Like you're at the stoplight, and that person in front of you, you know, like they're on their phone, and then by the time they get off their phone, you miss the light. Try being thankful then. Anyway, it's not happened. It did happen to me, so I heard about it from somebody else, and <laughs> gratitude promotes actually helping others. Fascinating, the same study said this, that even in our homes, amongst families, only 50% of family members thank each other, even reflexively, on a daily basis. When you go to the workplace, it gets much, much worse. 15% of people in the workplace say, on a daily basis, someone, anyone, thanks them for something. 35% of workers say that their direct report has never thanked them. You think about it, if you, if you follow these things like I do, you'll know that this year alone, two months, we've had more people resign from their jobs than ever before than, since we've been keeping track. They've called it the great resignation. And if you ask people, why are you quitting your job? It's not just, well, I don't make enough money or I don't like it. What they say is, I feel dissatisfied. I feel no fulfillment. Then if you ask them, well, why don't you feel fulfilled? They all say the same thing. doesn't matter what job it is. No one acknowledges my contribution. I feel overlooked and undervalued. Gratitude is this amazing thing that if we, in, if we prioritize it, if we're intentional with gratitude, we receive the benefit of it. We all can, yet we struggle with the motivation, which is why it's so great that as he always does, God comes to our aid, he comes to our help. You may have not have been paying attention, but in that little graphic in the slide for the series, thankful, Finding peace in a place you didn't expect. 
There's this incredible way that God helps us to connect two things that may not seem like they have much to do with each other, but have this incredible way to give us inspiration and motivation to actually be grateful, to see thanksgiving rise up in our heart. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke 17. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's okay. We'll put it on the screen for you. We're going to look at a story from Jesus where he helps us understand why this is so important and how it works. But before we get to Jesus, I wanted to start with Psalm 100. Look at this connection Psalm 100 makes. Enter his gates, meaning God, and that idea of gates is his temple, his, the place where you come to worship him. When you come to worship God, come with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. You're like, what is praise? Is that singing? Well, singing is part of it. I like to think of praise as declaring who God is. Declaring praise, we praise things that are above us. You lift up your praise, so praise is a declaration to something that's higher than you. So you enter his courts with praise, you give thanks to him, and you praise his name. Now you might be thinking, Jed, are you saying that I should have a good attitude when I come into church? That's part of what I'm saying. It's always a more enjoyable experience when you don't fight in the car. When you have a moment where you're like, I actually wanna be here, I'm looking forward to it. When you, but I'm saying that, but that's not all I'm saying. I'm saying a lot more than that. There is this aspect of our thanksgiving, our ability to be grateful is tied to our ability to give praise, and that praise comes out of our mouth, and that praise, it does include singing. You're like, Jed, am I supposed to just come into church singing out a song? That's a little weird. Don't you think it's weird? Is that even in the Bible? Like, you're talking about just going through life and randomly breaking into song like a, like a Disney movie? Right? Like that's kind of what we think about in our minds, those of us with small children, right? You've watched Frozen 57,000 times. You're ready to let it go. Um, <laughs> my favorite, I like Olaf. You know, my favorite though is The Lion King, right? Like The Lion King, you sing the songs in The Lion King and it's like even if you sing bad, they're still fun to sing, right? Like these animals bouncing around and, and singing songs and you're like, what does God think about all that? God's not into that. Well, here's an interesting thought. We just read from the book of Psalms, which is, Another way of saying songs, there are 66 books in the Bible, that's the biggest one, right there in the middle, 150 songs in the book of Psalms, all different kinds of songs. And you're like, okay, well that's, that's songs, that's just like a worship book, well what about this? There's 185 different songs in the Bible, that means 35 of them not in songs. You're like, Jed, are you saying that people actually walked around during Bible days and just busted out into singing? Actually, that's exactly what I'm saying. When the people of Israel made it through the Red Sea, they get to the other side, and Moses, who I don't picture him doing this, Moses just busts out in song. They're in the wilderness, they find water, he breaks out in song, the people break out in song. When Joshua takes the people into the promised land, they go into the promised land singing a song, into battle, out of battle, they're singing songs. You know, songs, there's sad songs in the Bible. There's love songs in the Bible, song of songs. Single people, stay away from that one. Just let it rest for a little while. <laughs> there's all kinds of songs. We're coming up on the Christmas season. And in the Christmas season, right there in the middle, Mary's afraid there in the beginning of Luke. She's afraid. God comes to her. You're going to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit. She's like, pregnant with what? What am I going to tell Joseph? She gets to the end. The Bible says she's filled with faith. And what does she do? She breaks out in a song. Christmas is almost like a Broadway musical. She's singing, Zechariah's singing, they're all singing. It seems strange to us, but somehow God says, this is gonna help you. It may seem weird, it may feel like a stretch for you, but if you'll do this, it's not for me. God's saying, it'll change you. 
That's how good he is. He's so generous. He's not insecure wanting people to praise him for his benefit. He wants it for you because he knows how it'll change you. Now, let me just get this out clear. McKinney, Hazlitt, all of our campuses, those of you watching online, this is not a correction. You are a generous church, but you're also a worshiping church. I didn't come out here because the worship team asked me to come scold you or correct you. But, but what I want us to do, our, year, our word this year is grow. And I think we can all grow. We can all get better in this. And we do this together. There's something about the power of corporate worship that God really believes in. And a really cool thing that's coming up in just a few weeks, our team has been working so hard. They put together our very first full-length worship album of all original songs. That uh, first single is coming out there in January 7th. And then the full album in early February. You're going to love it. Why? They're trying to help us all access and grow in this area of life that's really going to help us. Now, you might be saying, Jed, I get it. I understand how it's kind of like part of the deal but I'm more of a thoughtful person. I'm more cerebral. I like the word. I like the preaching. I like the reason. I like the logic. I'm with you. I like all those things too. But don't underestimate the power of this gift that God's given us. Because if we're really honest, music does things to us that nothing else can. All of us have a soundtrack. Like when you're in your car and it's just you and you just want to listen to your jams, you've got something that you go to. We know you do because we see you. Right? You're emboldened when you're by yourself. You're singing. Right? Like you find something that you like. Why? Because we all have this sense. It's what we love about Christmas. Why do we love Christmas? Some people call it the Christmas spirit or Christmas magic. Here's the biblical word. It's transcendence. It's this idea that this God who feels far off comes near and comes to be with us. And one of the gifts of music is it makes us feel connected to something bigger than ourselves. God understands that. He made us this way, and he wants us to benefit from what happens when we give him our praise, which brings us to Luke chapter 17, the story of Jesus. We're catching up with Jesus as he's making the turn in his ministry. He's been talking about the cost of discipleship. There's word now that the Pharisees are being hostile. King Herod's trying to kill him. Things are starting to shift. His teaching is becoming more direct. Luke 17 is right after Luke 15, right? And in there, Luke 15 is some of his most direct, most meaningful passages, right? Three different parables about a lost sheep and a lost coin and then a lost son. We see God's heart for people. And then he comes along and there's this little story here in Luke 17, I think so interesting on this very subject. It says this, verse 11, now on his way to Jerusalem, what that means there is he's heading to Jerusalem where he would be arrested and betrayed and crucified for our sins as we celebrated in communion. Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, Galilee is the region where he grew up, where he's from, where he did most of his ministry. Samaria was this other region. And this region was filled with people who were, they considered half-breeds. There was, there was ethnic strife between them and the, and, and the Israelites. And there was challenges and they felt like they were compromisers and they were unclean. So they wouldn't even go through Samaria. But Jesus, as he constantly did, like the woman in the well in John 4 and at other times, he, he, he had a heart and he believed for these Samaritans. He was going into a village. Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. Now, the fact that they were standing at a distance, the fact that they had leprosy, which is a disease that makes your skin rot, your body literally decay. And so they stood at a distance because if they got close to Jesus, they would make him unclean. And so from a distance, 
They stopped and shouted. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, where you feel like, man, I feel so far from God. Maybe if I yell louder, he'll hear me. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, this was a crazy move that Jesus tells them. Nobody was more aware of what was clean and unclean than a priest, and the idea that Jesus would say, go to the priest, they're like, what are you talking about? The priest will reject us, they'll send us away. Jesus is like, if you'll go, watch what'll happen. It says, as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice. Amazing how when God does something for you, you don't care how loud you are. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him, for he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now I know you don't have leprosy, but I know we all have needs. We all have challenges. We all have things that we're asking God for. Some are big, some are small. If we had the time and we went and talked to each of you, you would say, well, this is going on in my family or this is going on at work or this is going on in my health. This is what I'm concerned about. And the amazing thing is when your need gets big enough, you start to get desperate. And I started to think about this little story and it's not just a story for them, it's a pattern for us. Pattern starts with this need. We start with a need and we think, man, what am I gonna do? I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to fix my family. I don't know how to fix this situation at work. I don't know how to fix the, the turmoil, the fear, the anxiety that I wrestle with every day. I don't know what to do. And when you come to that point, it's amazing how open you are to say, God, Whatever you ask me to do, I'll take a faith step. So that next piece is you take a faith step. You step out, you trust. Things that you would normally not do, you're open to doing because you're aware of your need. It's amazing, he's so good, he's so loving. When we take that step, he meets us in that place and he moves. I was thinking about this this week. Long time ago when I was doing college ministry, we were at a basketball game and uh, there was a guy there who was a phenomenal basketball player, was gonna become a pro, did become a pro, and they were playing a huge game, and that week he was playing, um, uh, they, they both were nationally ranked in the top 10, and this guy was a star player, and he was a center, and his ankle was all jacked up. That's my medical term for it, it was all jacked up. He couldn't play, it was so bad in fact that he was like, I'm not even gonna go through warmups because I know I'm not playing, so he said, well, can we pray for your ankle? And this guy's like, he's like, I'm an atheist. I'm not into all that. No, don't pray for my ankles. And we're like, do you want to play? He's like, okay, well, what could hurt? Let's give it a shot. So we prayed for him and immediately he goes, man, he goes, it feels different. So he's like, I'm gonna go try it. So he goes out and he goes through warmups. He ends up playing the game. He has an incredible performance. He wins the game. So we're all, this is crazy. We're like, this is amazing. Like we had faith that it would work, but we didn't know it was gonna work that good. And so we're like, what's gonna happen at the press conference? So he goes to the press conference, and at the press conference, they ask him, they're like, what happened to your ankle? And he goes, you know, it's the strangest thing. It just kind of felt better. It's like, that's interesting. And you know, here's the thing. I'm not picking on him because we all have that propensity. See, we have a need. We step out in faith. God does something, and then if we don't immediately do the natural thing, the godly thing, if we don't return like this one did, where did the other nine go? We don't know. But only one out of 10, not great odds, one out of 10 came back and gave Jesus praise for what God had done. But our natural tendency is to go, well, you know, it's the strangest thing. We don't give praise, we're like, I don't know what happened, it just got better. Or we'll go, you know what, I'm really smart and I figured that out and I did it myself. 
as if somehow Jesus or God needed our praise, as if somehow that was for him. Because here's the thing I want you to see. This is good to go need, faith step, God moves, then respond in praise. But if you've walked with God and you become mature and you know his goodness, this isn't the pattern you need. The pattern you need doesn't just end with praise. It starts with praise. You praise him before you have a need. You praise him because you know he's good. He's good all the time. He's good before you have, when, you, when things are great, when things are difficult, he's still great. And when your heart is filled with praise, it doesn't change him. Oh, but it changes you. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you feel. It actually changes your physical body, which brings me back to why you haven't seen me since September. In September, I was playing basketball with a bunch of college kids. We were in our third game. We'd won the first two games. Down in that third game, making a big comeback. I was out by the three-point line, which I often am. I'm a bit of a deep threat. And uh, <laughs> I got the ball. And uh, later on the MRI, I found this out that I had hundreds of little micro tears. Because I got a first step. If you don't know what that is, it's a pump fake with the, like you're going to shoot. And then you go to the bucket and, uh, and you score. And so I went to go to the bucket. And I thought someone kicked my heel and I fell over. And I looked behind me and there was no one behind me. And I was like, that's a problem. So the college kids are like, Pastor Jen, are you okay? I was like, I, I, I'm okay. They're like, maybe just walk it off. And, and I was like, okay, I'll try that. But I knew where the pain was coming from. See, in basketball, there's two really major injuries. The, wor the bad one that's the most common is the ACL or an ACL with the MCL in your knee, the ligaments in your knee. That's not what I had. The pain wasn't in my knee. The pain was down lower in your Achilles, which is the worst one. If you've ever heard of Kobe Bryant or Kevin Durant or Clay Thompson, or as I call them, my bros, we have similar games. Um, <laughs> we, we all have this Achilles tear. So I was like, uh-oh, this is going to be a problem. So I started laying hands on myself and praying like, Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to mend tendons. That's in the Bible somewhere. Somewhere in the Bible, mending tendons. I'm, I'm praying. And so I, I was like, I had enough adrenaline in me to drive myself home. So I get in the car and on the way home, it's happened to be my son's birthday. And so we were going for a birthday party. And I knew my wife's first question when I hit the door was not, did you win? It's always the same. Did you get hurt? And I was like, ah, kind of. Um, and so I Googled Achilles tear. I don't recommend that as a strategy, but I was desperate. And so they said there's a Thompson test where if you lie down and grab your calf, if your tendons are torn, your leg won't move. I did the Thompson test and, and nothing moved. And I was like, that could be a problem. Um, that was nine weeks ago. Spent those nine weeks in a boot. Couldn't drive. Couldn't walk. Was on a scooter hobbling around. I'd love to be able to tell you that the whole time my heart was filled with praise. Um, <laughs> I remember maybe three, four days into it and uh, in the boot, trying to sleep. The leg is throbbing. I can't sleep, uncomfortable, mad at the world. I'm like, God, are you punishing me? It's like, what's happening? I don't know if I can do this. I've never, I've played sports my whole life. I've never had a major injury. I'm like, why did this happen? Maybe if I hadn't played and I started my mind rehearsing, like changing somehow if I could have controlled it. Maybe it wouldn't happen. I started to get discouraged. And I realized in that moment, I had a choice. And I've had that choice before. And I know I'm going to have that choice again. 
But in that pit, in that darkness, facing anxiety and discouragement and depression, was I going to feel sorry for myself? Was I going to try to find someone to blame? Or was I going to set my eyes on Jesus and lift my voice in praise when it seemed like the most impossible thing to do? See, a year before, I'd been on a vacation with my wife, and that vacation was intersected by a Category 4 hurricane that was headed right towards us. It's amazing how life presents opportunities to either choose blame or to choose praise. Not because you know everything's going to work out, but can I suggest to you the greatest strategy, not because I'm great, but because he is, is to whatever level you need you're facing, don't wait till it's resolved to praise. Praise now because it changes you in the situation. You know, this week I was reading, I got an advanced copy of this book. It's the most extensive historical study of uh, contemporary worship and praise in North America over the last 100 years. Fascinating little study. And I was blown away by it. And there were some cool summaries. And then I started to think about it. You know, I've been in church a long time. And worship and praise has changed a lot in church. Like if I think back to my early days as a kid. And, you know, we had pews and organs and hymnals. And we would sing songs and hymnals that I didn't understand. You, you remember that hymn where you would sing about lifting up your Ebenezer? I was like, you mean like Scrooge? Like what are we singing about? I was like, I don't even know what that is. And, 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 but it's changed. Somewhere along the way, and that's what the story was about, how you know, they started to summarize what's changed over the 100 years. Well, they said the first thing that changed was people went back to Scripture. What does the Bible say about how to worship instead of what's our tradition and what's cultural? And early in that process, they discovered this little nugget in Psalm 22. You probably heard our worship leader say this, that God inhabits, that he's made present, that he manifests himself when his people praise him. So this theological idea like, no, no, we're not just singing about God, we're singing to him. And when we sing to God, he comes and fills that place and then things begin to change in the way that we, we, we realize, okay, we're not just singing about him, we're singing to him, he comes. And it just began to change the atmosphere and the dynamic. Not that it was perfect or not there's a right way or a wrong way, but our hearts began to change. Worship began to change. People started connecting it in a different way. I try to tell my kids, you know, it's like, my kids who grew up in this environment, it's like, you know, not everybody has what you had, right? Like we had youth group when I was a kid. There was like 20 of us in a living room with a guitar. It's awkward, right? Like there's no place to hide. And you know, the songs weren't like the songs that were on the radio. And so we were trying to figure out, you know, that was a thing we used to listen to. Never mind. Anyways, um, like my son goes off to like arenas and the worship nights. I was like, we didn't have that. Be grateful for this expression of what God's doing. And, and don't just think, well, this is normal. This is what everybody has. No, because there's something there. And you think, well, well, you know, my voice isn't very good. God doesn't want to hear my voice. There's this thing called heavenly auto-tune. By the time it gets up to him, he changes your voice. And it sounds pleasing and beautiful to him. See, it's not how you sing, but it's that you sing. It's that your voice is included. So before I pray for you, I want you to think about what happens when we praise. What changes in us? Just three little thoughts about what changes in us. They're in McKinney, they're in Hazlitt. I want you to think about, okay, when I'm doing this, what is actually happening? Because I think many of us, we think praise is a religious tradition. It's just something that you do in the service before the message happens. It's so much more than that. Praise really shapes. It changes the nature of our relationship 
relationship with God. No matter how you sing, no matter what your experience was growing up, no matter what you're used to or not used to, every one of us has the opportunity to offer our praise to God, not because he needs it, but because we do. The first thing that happens when we praise is we transform our thoughts and emotions. You know, as a pastor for 26 odd years in ministry, never seen a time where the emotional health of the general public was in such a tough spot. You know, we're thinking up phrases and bringing back old terminology. I heard this term to describe 2020. They said the year for the word was languishing. I was like, what is that? And it was like this sense of, I, I don't, I, my needs are met, but there's this deep kind of existential gnaw that something's not right in the world. I was like, well, that's a real thing. I, I heard about ruminating where you get stuck in this rut and you think over and over and over. You fixate on a thought. You can't get out of it. I was like, that describes where people are at. I, started to, I heard this phrase, catastrophizing, which is like, in your mind, you go to the worst place all the time. Anytime you hear something, you take it to its extreme. And I don't know about you, but I've done that. See, all of us find ways to medicate, and God knows this about us. Maybe you medicate through a hobby. Maybe you try to overcome stress through exercise. Maybe you work harder. Maybe you binge shows. Maybe, you know, you go on vacation. You try to vacation your way out of stress. Maybe you do like we all do, and you just eat your feelings, you know? It's like, I'll feel those things later. Right now, I'm just going to eat my feelings and hope that things get better. We all do different things. But God wants us, God has a strategy so much better. Look what the Bible says, Ephesians 5, 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. You know, some coping mechanisms, not only to fail to improve our situation, they create new problems. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You might be thinking, Jed, are you saying being filled with the Spirit is just about singing? Well, it's not just that, but it is that. There's something happening in our spirit. There's something happening in our soul. If we were to hook you up to a machine and look at the patterns in your brain while you praised, while you worshiped, while you prayed, we would see centers of your brain light up that don't light up at any other moment. There's, the term is neuroplasticity. Your thoughts, your emotions, your attitudes can actually be rewired while you're in the presence of God. How incredible is that? When we worship, when we're in his presence, he changes us. He changes our thoughts and our emotions. See, we're all trying to do something to drive the darkness out of our lives. I heard a little phrase that I've heard before. I looked up this week to see where it came from. The phrase is, it's better to light a candle than to curse the dark. It comes from a Wesleyan minister in 1907. You know, a lot of us are trying to drive out the darkness with more dark more darkness ourselves. You can't yell at the darkness and make it go away. You need light. That light comes when we lift up our voice in praise. See, you know, it's funny how you study this. If you were to actually change your thought patterns and your speech patterns and focus on positive things, you'd actually get better just by doing that. But God actually supercharges it. He's like, don't just be positive. Put my word in your mouth. Put my word in your thoughts and watch how your thoughts and your emotions change. But you know what? It's even deeper than that. Do you know your posture changes the way that you feel? If you, feel, if you stand strong and courageous, I'm going to do my best to do it. If you stand strong and courageous, you feel strong and courageous. If you stand withdrawn and sunken back, you feel withdrawn. 
Your posture impacts. Now, I know where you think I'm going. I'm not going to poke fun at the way that you stand during worship, but um, I am going to show you how real this is by something that I care a lot about, college football, because it's a great example of how our body language communicates how we're feeling. Here's a term you may have never heard before. It's the surrender cobra. It looks like this. This is the face you make, (laughs) puffed up like a cobra, when you come to the realization your team is going to lose. This is this one, brother. Look at this next guy. He became a meme, this Michigan brother. He was on college game day. He's so famous. Everywhere he goes, you're the surrender. Yeah, I'm the surrender cobra guy. That's him. Look at this next one, my ginger sister. Look at her. She's at an LSU game. That's an LSU fan. Some of you look like that during worship. Anyways, um, look at this last brother from Virginia. He just quit. He's just like, you know what? I'm just out. Why, why, Why do I show those pictures? Because our posture communicates how we're feeling. And the way we stand actually impacts the way we feel. Now you're like, Jed, are you saying I have to be one of those people who comes in raised? No, I'm not saying you have to be that. But I am saying, like, be aware of your posture. At least the whole purpose for this is just, God, I'm open. I'm open to whatever you might want to do. I'm engaged. I'm attentive to you. I'm grateful to be in your presence. Maybe this is way too much for you. You're like, I can't handle that. Just get a, you know, get a starter kit. Maybe start with the wings or like a, this one, or at least get coffee with the sidecar, you know, like just, just be open. Just kind of be like God. You guys like coffee. Coffee with the sidecar is pretty good. You, you can use that if you want. That's my free gift. McKinney has that. You guys can use that. It's my free gift to you. Here's the idea. We just want our hearts to be like, God, I want you to see I'm grateful to be here in your presence. I want to be with you. Here's the second thing. We get closer to God. Look what Hebrews 13, 15 says. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. What an interesting little phrase. Let us offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. What's a sacrifice of praise? Well, sacrifice costs you something. Sacrifice isn't easy. The Bible uses this concept of a sacrifice of praise. It's when things are dark, when things are difficult, when you feel like God doesn't hear your prayers, when you feel like no one sees and no one cares, when you feel like the thing that you are most afraid of is coming real in the life of a child, in your business, in your marriage, in that place, You say, everything in my heart feels like I'm I'm not going to make it. I'm scared. I'm anxious. I'm, I'm so afraid. I'm so depressed. But God, my hope is in you. You're a good God. You're a faithful God. Even though I can't see it, here is the sacrifice of my lips. I offer my praise even though I'm afraid. Let me tell you, God hears your prayers. Oh, but he loves your sacrifice of praise. There's something about, again, not because he's insecure, not because he's wondering if he is a good God, but he knows what will happen in your soul when you don't just praise him when things are good, but from that place of discouragement, from that place of fear, you offer praise. He knows you're going to experience power and victory in your soul. You can't get any other way. You know, you, you people will say, oh, 
you know, yet it's kind of like that, that, you know, raising your hands thing that's kind of extreme. You know, I'm not really a praise person. Well, well here's the thing. We're all praise people because we all praise something. Same person in church. You know, in church, they're stoic, reserved. You take them to a football game, a sporting event, they're losing their minds. You take them to a concert. It could be country, rock, hip-hop. They're throwing their hands in the air like they just don't care. It's like, why, why, why won't you do that for God? It's like, he made you. He gave you life. He sent his son to die for you. You know, we, we, we give our praise to things that have no power to sustain us. I know way too many weekends. I let what my football team did determine the quality of my weekend. That's stupid. Why would we do that? We're human. We all look to things to find hope and encouragement. I'm not bashing your hobbies, and I love sports. But there's something that happens when we offer a sacrifice of praise. We get no other place, which leads us to the third thing. We help others see who God is. You know, when we worship, when we come with an attitude of praise, when you come to Hazlitt, when you come to McKinney and you praise God out of a genuine heart, it doesn't just impact you, it impacts the people around you. There's this wild story in the Old Testament about King Saul and he was being tormented by dark spirits. And the guy he couldn't stand the most who he was trying to kill was this little shepherd named David. And he brings David in because when David would play the harp and would he sing praises to God, and he wrote a lot of those books, a lot of those songs in the book of Psalms. When, when David would do that, it would chase the darkness away. And Saul was like, I like that even though I don't like you. Look at what one of those Psalms says, Psalm 40, if you're a YouTube fan. Uh, you, you're gonna recognize this. This is how they close their shows. Psalm 40, verse two. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground. He steadied me as I walked along. Look at this. He's given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. People wonder, they say, man, if you're a genuine worshiping church, won't that be weird for unbelievers? Look what the Bible says. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. You know, we're coming up on a big season of Christmas. People are gonna come to church who wouldn't normally come. And when they come, they're experiencing more than they can even articulate. See, when you come, when you enter his gates with thanksgiving, when you come in with praise, when you come in ready to serve, ready to love, overflowing with praise out of your heart for God, they experience things that they have a hard time verbalizing. We stand out in the, in the commons and shake hands and they're like, good talk, or that was a nice service or a good program. I, I felt something. What they're saying is, I don't know how to connect what just happened, but it was different than what I expected. And if I were to really be honest, I felt God. When people come together in praise, people who don't know God can actually put their trust in him. We're gonna have a seating problem when we come to prepare. And you guys love prepare. I love prepare. Why? Because by the time that first note happens, there's such a sense of praise. Is it different? Is it the songs we sing? No, it's because you've been thinking all day, I can't wait to go and be in God's presence. And when people come with that heart, the environment is different. Why does it have to just be during prepare? What if we were a people who said, God, what a privilege to praise you. What a privilege to be in your presence. What a privilege to be close to you. You know that Psalm we started with, Psalm 100? It starts with, shout for joy to God all the earth. You know the whole earth is praising God at all times? What do human beings do when they have a hard time sleeping? They listen to ocean sounds, babbling brook, forest sounds, jungle sounds. What are they listening to? That's the sound of creation 
doing what God created to do, praising him. And human beings who don't know God, listening to creation praise God, it makes them feel peace. That's how good our God is. You know, one day he's gonna come back and it won't take your favorite song or your favorite worship leader. It won't take the right lighting, the right mood, you having the right seat. When he comes in power, the Bible says, every knee's gonna bow and every tongue is gonna lift up praise to Jesus. Now here's what I want. For me, I know I'm, I'm just like you. I have challenges, I have good days, and I have bad days. But the last thing I wanna ha happen is to get to that day and to be struck with this realization. Jesus, if I'd only seen you like you are now, I wouldn't have held back. Jesus, if I'd only known how good you really were, I would have given you more praise. Can we be a people who don't have to see him in all of his power to be a people filled with praise? Not because he needs it, but because we do. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. You may be watching online. You may be there in Hazlitt or McKinney. And you know it. You sense his presence. He's with us in power. He's so good. He's so faithful. Even when we don't praise him, his heart for us doesn't change. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the strength that you provide. We thank you that when we offer you praise, you change us from the inside out. You change our environments because you're good all the time. Your goodness knows no bounds. Your power is unlimited. Your faithfulness continues on through every challenge and circumstance. So God, just as your people, we recognize. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your goodness. What a privilege it is to offer you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.